You're listening to The Big Show with George Russick and Matty Rose on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Oh, hi there. It's Hour 3. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet. Probably one of the most recognizable voices in Canadian broadcasting. Buck Martinez. Immediately, you know it's Buck when he starts to speak. He'll join us at 8.30. He's in town this weekend for a coaching clinic. That's fun. That's exciting. We'll get Buck's take on the Blue Jays offseason thus far, which has been soul-crushing. Also, um, his Kansas City Chiefs on the road in Buffalo to play the Bills. We'll get his, uh, his take on that matchup and how concerned is he that Patrick Mahomes has to go on the road for the first time in his career outside of the neutral site that is the Super Bowl. He loves his Chiefs. Hazel May, Chiefs fan too. Wow, more you know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Kevin Barker's mentioned that on our show too. Mm. Yes, he has. Yes. Um, uh, The Leafs are in town to play the Flames, who are red hot, by the way. Um, We want to hear your Maple Leafs Toronto chirps, 960-960, name and location. We'd love to hear that. Um, Stuff that you can scream or yell from the seats at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Mm-hmm. We'll do those after Buck Martinez. Some of these are pretty good. We want to keep them rolling in here at 960-960, name and location. The black and white photo one was good. If you missed it earlier, we'll play that one for you. Mm-hmm. That was not bad. Enjoy that. Yeah. So keep them rolling in at 960-960. Uh, joining us on the line right now in the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline from Hockey Night in Canada, Mr. Ron McLean. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm great, George and Matt. How are you two? We're great. Thanks for jumping on. Um, do you know what number this is for Hockey Day in Canada? Which edition this is? It's our 24th. We, we missed the year of the lockout, but we started in 2000, and this being 24, somehow it works out to be the 24th uh, edition. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and I remember the first one, you guys. Yeah. We did it in Toronto. So the, the first time we took it on the road was actually Red Deer, my hometown, And I told everybody we did it uh, late February. I think it was February 24th. And I said, boy, I don't know. We get Chinooks. There may be no ice at Bauer Ponds. Well, it was minus 40. It was was one of the coldest uh, hockey days we ever did. And uh, they had a challenge. They did an overnight game. So they were trying to get in the Guinness Book of World Records with the longest outdoor shinny game. And all of the players who participated had frostbite on their torsos right between the shoulder pads and the hockey pant. Uh, they all got frostbite. It was terrible. It was, just, oh and here goodness. we are in Victoria. I don't know if you've heard, but we're, yeah. we're under like five inches of snow. So we, oh. we, it's a great idea, but we're bad luck. I can tell you. Um, what what was the original genesis behind the idea to have this it, itself? Like, what? How did that even come about? When were you approached? Like, obviously a slam dunk. It, it's twenty four years strong here. But just talk about uh, the infancy of Hockey Day in Canada. Well, it's John Shannon, uh, who I, you know, hired me. He was uh, based in Calgary when he was with uh, then Olmeyer Communications and doing the western side of Hockey Night in Canada. It's his baby. He came up with the idea. And uh, I remember I was really worried. It's kind of like Battle of the Blades. I thought it would be a colossal flop, too. So I'm no good at judging anything about mainstream television or the arts. Mm-hmm. But he, he had the idea to, to do the grassroots storytelling. And I always had remembered a quote by Faulkner, which I can never dig up, but the basic quote was, you celebrate something at the expense of its playfulness. In other words, the minute mm-hmm. you put it on a pedestal, it's no good. But it's not that way because every time we go to a town, you know, it's alive with all the volunteers. Like just 
Matt Pettinger played in the NHL. He'll be part of the uh, alumni game on Friday night. His brother Bain is a uh, the agent for Tyson Berry and involved with Jamie and Jordy. Ben is an agent. He runs Apollo. And their dad, Rick, was at our little do last night. And that's what makes it. Right away, the connections of whoever, like there's a great writer here at University of Victoria, Lorna Crozier, uh, probably the preeminent poet in our country. Uh, she grew up in Swift Current. And her mom sold 50-50 tickets at the Broncos games. So she went to every Western Hockey League game, watched all the scraps, and then became one of the greatest uh, hmm. poets and writers of our hmm. time. And that's, that's you know, this goes on and on. So we did it in Toronto year one outside the CBC Broadcast Centre. We had a rink made, but it was mild that day, so that didn't work. And the first interview I did was Howie Meeker, the late, great Howie oh. Meeker. And right away he gave me hell for my stick. He said, Ron! Put that stick up against your nose. How long is that stick? How are you supposed to play hockey with a stick that long? So he was giving me shit. And, and he went, honestly, he went like I am, but he went about 10 minutes yeah. on the first answer. And I thought, well, here I was worried we got a 13 and a half hour show. How will we fill it? And now I realize 13 and a half isn't enough. <laughs> the gold mine has been found. As far as gold mines in Victoria, what are you looking at? Who are we going to see on the broadcast? Because like you mentioned, you got a lot of hours to fill there, Ron. Oh, and we're jammed. Uh, I don't even know where we're going to get through it all. The, the history of the game here is great. The uh, Stanley Cup was won by the Cougars, Lester Patrick, in 1925. And they create. it's kind of like the creation of the PWHL going on right now with Mark Walter. Uh, it was the Patrick family who were from Montreal, but they uh, sold a lumber business out of Nelson, B.C., got $440,000, and that's like $15 million in today's dollars. And the two boys, Frank and Lester, wanted their dad, Joe, to start a hockey league, and they did. Uh, and they they changed all the rules. They created forward passing, introduced blue lines, offsides, numbers on sweaters. They made the game exciting. They stole away all the talent from Eastern Canada. And, I mean, the rest is history. The Vancouver Millionaires, it's all there. So there's that part, the, the history component, which we'll tell. We have lots of guests. My idol, my boyhood idol, I'm sorry for Stamps fans, but was uh, Dave Cutler, the kicker for Edmonton, won six Grey Cups. Hmm. So Dave will jump on the show. And, I mean, this is the home of the Courtnells and the Bens and uh, the Pettingers. Uh, lots of great family acts. Roddy Brindamore is up island, they call it, in Campbell River. But uh, it's just a great hockey story. Micah Sandy Hart, the captain of New York in the PWHL. This is her hometown. First BCer to play for the women's Olympic team for Team Canada. So, uh, yeah, great day of, uh, you know, all the panel is here. So David Amber and Kevin, David's going to kind of do the panel, and I'll be down on a rink at Ship Point, they call it. Lanny McDonald, I left him at the bar, and, and Cassie Campbell, I hope they went to bed last night. Uh, anyway, the, he was, Lanny was great telling stories of the dad's trip. Oh, my God. He, he said, you know, it was Jack Hughes, right, that coined the phrase. He didn't coin it, but he sort of made popular the phrase, they're on a heater. Well, Colin Patterson, I don't have to tell you, is heater. That's the actual heater. Yeah. And he, he he did he was the dad for Sharon Govich. Do you know that? Yes. Yeah, we were hearing a little yeah. bit about it. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it great? Yeah. So Sharky, as they call Sharon Govich, and he just he went in and did the starting lineup and uh he Lanny made a great point last night. He said when Sharon Govich scored that winner the other night, just his reaction behind the net, it's like I've arrived. I mean he's been good now for hmm. a month and a half, but he said that was that was truly the moment Lanny knows because it took him a while to hit his stride in the NHL and Sharon Gold, which is not new to the league, but that was a you know I have arrived as and it's it's been so good you know it's made Huberto better it's uh, that that was a neat part of the story and just the whole he said uh, Rasmus Anderson's dad was hilarious obviously uh, Blake Coleman's dad was. C 
secretly saying I'm very proud of Blake. He's playing on the third line, and he's also producing offensively. Uh, you know, so he was great on the third line when we won the Cup in Tampa. I really feel good about what Blake's doing. So all of that was exciting to hear from Lanny, and he'll be on the show as usual. Uh, Ron, you talk about Sharon Govich. Is he just another shining example, you saying how he gets comfortable that we as fans and media were guilty of treating these guys like commodities and that they're human beings, and it does take a while for some of these guys just to get used to their surroundings. Well, I don't know how you felt, but he looked shy, if if that's the Mm. word. It's not so so much timid, but he looked shy, and that's... That's that sense of, you know, you're in a new place. Like, I honestly think about when is the last time I went to a new job? And it's obviously 40 years ago. So I can't even relate to what that feeling is like. But I do remember vividly, you know, walking into CFAC channels two and seven in Calgary and and just that feeling of fear, you know, meeting the general manager, meeting the news director. And, and, you know, that's what it was like for Sharon Govich. He's trying to find his stride. And, and that's why. Uh, you know, Lindholm, all those guys that lead Calgary have really clearly done it. And I, Huska too, I, I can't say enough good things about Ryan Huska has obviously done a nice job of, of solving some of the problems that Huberto faces, Sharon Govis faces when, when you see Toffoli get out of the gate, like he did, you know, that's more pressure. And somehow the flames have, have been able to calm the seas. Cause it was a, it was a challenging start and very, very much uh uh, proud of of how they've done that. We gotta like the the way the Canadian teams are all rolling here right now. Hey, like I know that the Leafs have lost three straight here, but the Oilers are cooking. The Flames are good right now. That we know the Jets and Canucks are probably going to be playoff teams. You gotta feel good about the way the Canadian game is, and maybe a chance to bring the Cup back up north this year. I think it's really important uh, to have the balance too, you know, to have kind of the rivalry going on at the, as you walk through the playoffs, if it's just one team and Canada gets invested, that's pressure. You know, it it happened to Ottawa in 2007. They were the lone duck. It happened to the Oilers in 06 and it happened to Calgary in 04. They get all the way to the seventh game of the final. Uh, But the pressure just keeps building and building, you know, please win us a cup, please. uh, The whole province is behind you. And, I think it's great when you're kind of angry at Edmonton if you're Calgary or you're angry at Winnipeg uh, if you're Vancouver. So that that support, I think, kind of drives you much the way for the Panthers, you know, to see Tampa winning inspires them. So it's a, it's a good time. The, the teams are totally legit. I mean, obviously, Colorado's no pushover and neither is Vegas. But I, I definitely believe that, you know, this healthy rivalry and, and what you're seeing in all these teams is is. And Toronto will, I think, I think get that turned around a little bit. But, you know, it is concerning that their their defensive woes, how do they address it with the cap? Ron McLean from Hockey Night in Canada joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Ron, you're sharing these great stories about how the game of hockey is just sewn into the fabric of this country. But we've had Jason Bukala on, who does a great job, former pro scout, uh, director of scouting for the Florida Panthers. And he says we have a development issue in Canada with how we develop young players. And maybe we're falling behind the Americans in that do you think our love for the game and maybe our we, we have this superiority complex that we think we're the best and that maybe we're not doing what we should be doing with younger players and taking note with teams like the United States, Sweden, Finland, what they're doing with their hockey players because we still think as Canadians it's our game, we're the best, don't worry about it, mm-hmm. it'll sort itself out. You know, it's tough for me. You know, I look at how Canada lost at the World Juniors and I, I really do think we got goalied. Uh, Czechia, they they managed to beat the women's U18 team with a, a goaltender turning aside 45 shots. 
Um, you know, it's always it's when we when we lost at Nagano, you know, we were pulling our oh. hair out, but it was Hashik, you know, and, and yeah. he was the greatest overtime goalie against the greatest shootout goalie. And sadly, the format was it goes quickly to shootout, and that's Hashik. He he was an amazing breakaway goalie. Had it been a you know battle of nerves in overtime, I think Roa would have taken the win. Um, and as far as our development program, I mean, you can always look for improvement. There's no doubt. But I, I watched the uh, Victoria Royals are the local team. They're coached by James Patrick. And James always tells the kids, you know, be Jordy Ben. Don't worry about Jamie Ben. There's not too many of those. But Jordy Ben carved out a, a career by his dedication, by his work ethic. And uh, and I lot, I watched that team and how they, you know, they're respectful and they're industrious and all these things and they they just went on the trip through the prairies and they stopped in macklin saskatchewan at cole reshney is a young he went third in the whl draft last year and you know i think a lot of people say is that junior hockey setup healthy um i think it is you know they were at the reshney residence and the spread was on you know a great uh, dinner for 22 or whatever it was and I just love it. You know, there was a picture of the barn behind the kids and uh, they were all in their track suits. And that was fantastic. And just again, hearing the stories that I'm seeing and hearing here in Victoria reminds me that there's a lot of good in the game. So, yes, I mean, you, you keep an eye on what they're doing. But the flip of that, too, is a lot of guys come out of Ann Arbor and the U.S. development program and they've been kind of cocooned for a good part of their adolescence. And then they're lost when they're thrown out into the real world. So I'm not sure if it's if it's easy to say one way or the other. Uh, Ron, when you mentioned Nagano, it just just brought up a lot of just devastating memories with how all the pomp and circumstance heading into those games, losing to the Americans in the World Cup, the first time the NHLers at the Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's in the Olympics, and then just losing the way they did was just mm-hmm. absolutely heartbreaking. What is the one hockey game that really? That, that that really fired a lot of emotions inside of you, even though you were doing the broadcast. What, which oh, is the a good game? question. Yeah, and it's it's twenty uh, two thousand and two for both the men and the women. Uh, oh, okay. Obviously, the the women's the women's game was on the twenty first, and they uh, had uh, Livingston was the name of the referee, an American called that game and called you probably recall eight straight penalties against Canada. Right. Uh, and and then Pat Quinn said to his team on the Sunday matinee, the twenty fourth is when Canada won the gold. Quinn said to the team, look, guys, we watched uh, the women on Thursday night. They could have played that game for a month and a half, and they weren't going to lose. And the reason they weren't going to lose is they had their swagger. And they didn't let the referee get in their kitchen, and they didn't let the uh, first goal bother them or any of it. So it was, a, it was a great, you know, we needed it. It had been 50 years since Canada had won the mm-hmm. goal, and we were starting to have some of these, you know, introspective moments, which, are, again, they're healthy. But, you know, look at, look at Canada's game. You, you just had uh, Connor Bedard. You, you have Macklin Celebrini coming. Um, obviously, Crosby's ageless, but uh, he was the one. McKinnon, when you watch McKinnon. I, I go to those Colorado games in 2022, uh, and I kept saying to myself, actually, the stats seemed to bear out what I was seeing because McKinnon jumped off the ice, the page, at everything. Practice, games, it was like, what is that thing? He, he is so fast and so far, as good as Makar is, mm-hmm. McKinnon was the one that endlessly caught your eye. And McDavid does that. And, and these are all products of, you know, Sam Reinhardt, sorry, Sam Bennett and uh, uh, McDavid grew up together in Newmarket, Ontario, used to dress in the separate bedrooms, come out into the living room, put on O Canada and then play mini sticks. That's us. That's hockey. And it still seems to be working. Uh, better speech that rallied their team to victory on the international level, Ron. 
Phil Esposito in 72 in the Summit yes. Series, or Wayne in 02 in Salt Lake? There's, and I'll add a third. It's Haley Wickenheiser, uh, mm. but that was after the fact. So you're right. Uh, right. It's it actually be the turning point and uh, a catalyst for change in, in the whole spirit. Um, that's a hell of a question because, uh, and that's why O2 was very special. Uh, I remember Wayne coming in kind of sheepishly the next morning, uh, and but of course the country was just uh, overwhelmed with joy about. It's like it reminds me of when I don't know much about soccer, but Zinedine Zidane of France, Zizou they call him, was yep. the star of the you know of soccer, and he snapped in the World Cup. He got mad at an Italian guy, gave him a Manchurian headbutt, I think they called it. Uh, <laughs> got evicted out of the game and and he went back to France he was a hero <laughs> everybody said who cares if we lost we love what you did and that was like Gretzky you know everybody was proud of his rant uh I would say though uh I would say it's Espo because it was so you know he played the hurt card and I, I just I just see the sweat dripping off him have you ever seen anything like it I mean the, the it was just he he was so good over there in Moscow after that speech um, that that's and and even Dryden said it in his book. You know, Phil saved a goal at a crucial moment in the uh, deciding game, and that was not normally Phil's lot. You know, in life, he he was an offensive guy. So I'll go with Espo. Those are great. Those are two great thoughts, though, to think about. Uh, Rana, I have definitely watched a lot on the '72 series, and for our listeners who weren't around for that, um, just talk about what that was like. Just. Not, oh, not, so not much that, about it. Yeah, it's just so I, much about it. I feel like there's First nothing all, now that would even be remotely close to no, all the geopolitical undertones of that series and what that actually meant for the country. I just feel like there's nothing in today's game that could mirror anything remotely close to what that was in 72. But I will tell you one interesting thing. On uh, Tuesday night here, we had Jim Robson came over from Vancouver. Bernie Pascal lives in Parksville. Uh, Tim Ryan was a longtime NBC, CBS uh, but but famously a boxing announcer. Tim lives here in Victoria now, and Jim Lang called Bobby Orr's rookie season in the NHL. So it was kind of a legends of broadcasting hot stove. Tim Ryan called Fraser Ali the fight of the century in 1971. And I thought to myself, you know, Summit Series is big, but that was at a time when Ali had said no to Vietnam. Uh, the, the political, it was like a Cold War. The political tension around Ali uh, in 71 was enormous. Joe Fraser was kind of a lucky, happy-go-lucky guy uh, who won the fight in 15 rounds, the first of their fights. Um, that must have been big. But for me, you know, I was 12. How, were you even alive? No, I was not. No. I was yeah, not, no, Ron. No, 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 yeah. no. So I, I'm a 12-year-old. And, uh, you know, the, the plane, the Aeroflot plane landing in Montreal, it was one of the most fascinating things. Uh, and to see these stoic guys get off the aircraft and then you know the whole experience of that first game when Canada got slaughtered seven to three and I I mean it was it was an unbelievable time because of a cold war you know you have to remember Munich uh, Olympics you know the tragedy there everything was really charged as as it I suppose always will be in life Um, but yeah the the political backdrop to the story you know is uh, communism better than uh, democracy all this stuff was going on in the background and then you add, uh, you know, like I always go to that last uh, minute and a half, game eight, the series is tied. It's all on the line, and Harry Sinden is the coach, and his G- his assistant coach is John Ferguson. So you got a Boston guy and a Montreal guy, the two dreaded rivals at the time. They were sharing the cup each and every year. 
And he throws out, uh, he's got Phil Esposito with five Montreal Canadiens in that crucial moment. And the only thing that saved this is Peter Mahovlich of the Canadiens. <laughs> he came off the ice and let Paul Henderson go on with a minute to go and, you know, change on the fly. And the rest is history. But what a what a time that was. That, that year, because of Dryden's performance with the Canadiens in 71 to knock off the mighty Bruins, it was, a, it, to me, the, the only thing is that I will say our Stanley Cups have become kind of like it was back in the early 70s. Uh, Vegas is such a, a wild story, both in 2018 and the winning. Uh, obviously, the, the Washington Ovechkin Cup was a fascinating one. So we've had some really good Stanley Cups in the last while. It's just we, we need, do need a Canadian team to win one. That would be good. Uh, Ron, it's, it's, it, you're the perfect guy to ask these types of questions, and I apologize if we're down this rabbit hole, but I have to ask you this question now too. Yeah. What's the most important international hockey goal in Canadian history? Is it Paul Henderson? Is it Gretzky? Yes. It's oh, you, you, that's that's the one. Yeah. It's not Gretzky in '87. No, no. It's it, not it, the Golden Goal it, in '10. It's it's because of uh, it's two things. It's uh, the unsung hero aspect to it. It isn't a, mm. you know as lovely as Crosby's goal in Vancouver was, and everything Sid worked for, you know, came to fruition in that moment. Couldn't be the you know more perfect guy to score in both Olympics. Really, he didn't uh, light it up like they were challenged in Vancouver to figure out who to play with Sid, and he finally said, "Give me Iggy and give me Stahl." It was his decision. Babcock asked him, and that's how he came up with that line. And uh, you know, that's a very very special moment. And Canada was stumbling until they beat uh, Russia in the you know early going, but I, I think Henderson you know he did it game after game over there. He won you know three straight games with game-winning goals. He, he just put in what you would call the performance of a lifetime, and and that for us became you know the, the never quit, uh, never you know doubt that you can do it uh, moment. The others are superstars you know, kind of doing what's expected. So that's the only reason I put that one on, on, on a little higher pedestal. Love story time. Looking forward to a lot more as we get into Hockey Day in Canada coming up on Saturday. Uh, I believe that you're going to be doing the the usual skate about throughout the course of the day, but it might be a little bit different. Ice. Yeah, can yeah, you tell uh, us a little bit about this? Well, Danny Gare's got the ice, and uh, I know Andre Vasilevsky has uh, one of Danny's rinks at his home. Uh, I'm, I have not been on it. I was down there yesterday and looked at it, and it looks great, but I'm curious to know how easy it is to stop on you know, skates uh, on the synthetic ice. But that, it's so apropos because that's when they started the Victoria Cougars. They had to have artificial ice, and the first one in Canada was right here in Victoria back in 1911. Uh, and Danny Gare, here's another great story. He grew up in Nelson, British Columbia, and when he was 16, won provincials, and his dad, Ernie, called him up to the college where Ernie was a teacher and he sat uh, Danny down opposite on uh, his desk and behind Ernie, the professor, there was a map of Canada. And uh, he said to Danny, Danny, what do you want to do with your life now? You just won provincials. He says, well, you know, dad, I want to play in the NHL. He says, well, you know what? There's a lot of 16 year olds who want to play in the NHL. And there's a lot of guys who just won provincials. He said, so if you're going to beat all those other guys out for a job, you're going to have to come here every day at four o'clock and we're going to work out and I'm going to teach you to box a little. You're not the biggest guy. You're going to have to know how to handle yourself. We're going to do some weight training. We're going to do some hills. We're going to do a workout every day. And every day we do a workout, we're going to take a thumbtack and we're going to put it over a, a town on the map of Canada, like swift current. You've just beat that kid, you know, uh, Rowan Aranda, you've just worked out and you're ahead of that kid. He says, when I was drafted two years later, the whole map in dad's uh, office was smothered in thumbtacks and he always said dad got me to the nhl and then he had a great career and here he is paying it 
providing us with the rink on Saturday. Wild. Great, great stuff. Uh, Ron McLean, Hockey Night in Canada host. Uh, he'll be in Victoria for, day, for Hockey Day in Canada, which goes down this Saturday. Ron, always a pleasure. Thanks for this. Yeah, same. Talk soon. There he is, Ron McLean on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Straight ahead, Buck Martinez going to be in town this weekend. That's exciting. Uh, we'll talk to Buck Martinez about the Blue Jays uh, offseason two. And uh, get your Toronto Maple Leafs slash Toronto Chirps in. 960-960. We want to play some of those before we say goodbye for today. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's the Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're trying to connect with Buck Martinez. He'll be in town this weekend for the Blue Jays National Coaches Clinic. It's taking place outside of Toronto for the first time. And where are they doing it? Here in Calgary. Devon White, Ernie Witt, Pat Borders, Ashley Stevenson, Chris Rietzma will be here, and Buck Martinez. Hopefully we can connect with Buck Martinez before we say goodbye. Um, you gave the listeners a story on how you've lost your passporte. Yeah. And you have an update on said story? I do. The update is that I have printed government forms. Okay. This one, I believe this is form, when is this? 203. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, form 203. Declaration concerning a lost, stolen, inaccessible, damaged, or found Canadian travel document. Okay. So I got to fill this one out that says that I lost it. And then I also have to do this one, which is the Adult Simplified Renewal Passport Application, which is Form 055. This one has a few more pages that I, I have to get references. So it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. We strip searched the apartment. I believe I recycled it, actually, if you must know. Hmm. Um, it was on the desk with some stuff. Right. And the desk was by the recycling. Hmm. And then I, I threw out a whole bunch of papers because it was getting a little bit m- messy on the desk. Sure. And I believe the passport was involved. Oh, no. And has been since. Because the last time you used it was your trip to Italy. Yeah, essentially. I haven't seen it since. Well, I've seen it since in the apartment, but I haven't seen it since I last saw it inside the apartment, which was relatively recently, a couple of months ago, as we were kind of trying to plan some trip stuff. And as a result, no passport. So now I got to get it done. And I got to go get pictures now. Right. I have to get references done. Sure. I got to do the whole nine yards. And then hopefully the passport arrives before I go to Las Vegas in April. Okay. It should arrive. There you go. There's the update. Two and a half months away. There's the update. Maybe there's like a passport guy that can beetle me along. Sure. Just speed me through. 960, 960. If you're listening, let me know. Yeah. Yeah, Matty Rose needs some help. I have. I would not compensate you or do anything, but that would be nice. Uh, our next guest uh, will be in town this weekend for the Blue Jays National Coaches Clinic, taking place outside of Toronto for the first time. As I mentioned, Devon White, Ernie Witt, Pat Borders, Ashley Stevenson, Chris Rietzma, and our next guest, Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, Mr. Buck Martinez. Buck, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing? Did you bring a warm coat, Buck? Because it's a little brisk in Calgary. <laughs> You know what? I understand it's a little cold, but, um, you know, I'm in Florida and it's a little cold here now, but I know it's not as cold as it is there in Calgary. What's cold in Florida? 65 bucks? <laughs> like, what is? what are we talking about here? <laughs> it's 48 this morning. No. So oh, my they, goodness. I got <laughs> wow. Did they declare a state of emergency, Buck, because it's only 48? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just about. You know what? There's uh, certainly nobody's playing golf. At least the native Floridians aren't playing golf today. <laughs> okay. 
Um, wanted to ask you, uh, just your involvement in this, and how excited are you that you're coming to Calgary to do this? Yeah, I really look forward to this. Uh, obviously, when you have a, a turnout as uh, successful as they're looking forward to, 200 coaches there, I think it's great that uh, the Blue Jays are so involved. And uh, as you mentioned, the roster of instructors is pretty impressive with uh, their experience and what they can add add to this weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been to Calgary for a while, and I know it's a, a very good group that we're going to address over the weekend. What's kind of the process when you get here and you start talking with the coaches and start talking with everybody who's involved with uh, the entire session? Yeah, we will have a, a kids clinic in the morning at 8 o'clock, and then we'll have a coaches clinic that starts at noon on Saturday, and then on Sunday there will be another on-field uh, demonstration as far as the skill sets. But uh, each of the individual uh, uh, instructors will have a, a session to uh, talk about their specific areas of interest. And uh, at the end I will talk a little bit about coaching and managing and, and what you might do to put a team together. So those are some of the things we'll hit and uh, obviously give the uh, coaches an opportunity to ask questions and uh, Hopefully we can give them some good information that they can uh, use this spring. Just being so involved with the Blue Jays, do you feel like there's been maybe more involvement, more fans out here in Western Canada? Because this is the first time that this is coming out here outside of Toronto, this clinic that you're putting on. Yeah, you know, when it, and going back to my playing days, we used to go all over Canada and uh, hit as many places as we could. And I, I think... You know, the Blue Jays have pretty much been a coast-to-coast-to-coast team for a long time, and now we have uh, the the ability to reach out. And now with the improved facilities in all of these uh, cities and towns across the country, we can have an indoor clinic in the middle of January where people can come out and get some instruction and get prepared for the springtime. So I think it's a good thing, And, and as you know, the Blue Jays are very popular no matter where you are across Canada. Um, Buck, what's the most important tip you have for young baseball players? Enjoy the game. Don't take it too seriously. You know, there are over 300 Division I colleges in the United States. There are over 1,700 colleges, universities, and junior colleges where a kid can play. And, you know, everybody doesn't have to go to USC or LSU to play. And, and I think the biggest thing is you have to play to get better. You can't simply stand in a batting cage and get better. You can't learn how to play the game by not playing. You need to play the game. And no matter where you play, whether it's in the summertime in Calgary or you get a chance to go down south into the States and play uh, whatever level of baseball you can play, that's how you're going to get better. And uh, the competition will get better. uh, You'll get better. And um, you know what? And the reality is not everybody's going to turn out to be Mike Trout or Shohei Otani. But I think everybody can enjoy learning how to play the game. And when you learn how to play it properly, it becomes a very fun experience for everybody. Uh, Buck, do you have to have a certain disposition to play baseball? Because it's a game of failure, right? The, the, the best hitters of all time, you know, got to hit three out of ten times. Like, you just have to have a certain personality to realize that, yes, I will get out more than I get hits. Like, how do you, do you see that in younger players right away that they have the right attitude to be a baseball player because it is a game based in failure? Yeah, and, and too, you know, in this day and age when everybody wants uh, instant gratification, it's difficult because the game is theoretically pretty slow. 
I mean, if you were playing hockey or playing soccer, you'd move up and down the field. And there's a lot of things going on. Even in basketball, there are quite a few things going on. In baseball, there's a lot of standing around. So you do have to have a genuine love for the game and what the game entails and how difficult it can be to succeed at the highest level. But I think at the same time, if you do have that passion, and I'm going to talk about a couple of guys that I've played with and, and seen play over the years, Mark Burley and Larry Boa. Neither one of them had a lot of success in high school. In fact, Larry Boa never played high school baseball because he got cut all the time. So he didn't start playing until he got to college, and then he's a, basically a borderline Hall of Famer who became a manager of the year as well. And Mark Burley was the same. You know, he wasn't big enough. He, he didn't make his high school team until he was a senior. And then when he got to junior college, the junior college coach asked him, is that as hard as you throw? <laughs> <laughs> And Burley went on to win 216 games, and they pitched the perfect game, and he had a career. So you never know when somebody's going to blossom. Um, Buck, if, if our listeners have newborn babies or infants, should they immediately teach them to throw left-handed? Is that probably the best route, Buck? <laughs> well, you know what? There's a big discussion right now in the Hall of Fame, and Billy Wagner is a great example of that. He broke his right arm when he was a kid and learned how to throw left-handed. So he became a... a, a possible Hall of Fame left-handed relief pitcher. But you know what? I, I think Canadians have a little bit of an advantage because so many of them have played hockey as a kid and they all become left-handed hitters. Mm -hmm. And left-handed are a premium in Major League Baseball. So uh, certainly if you're a catcher and a left-handed hitter, you really have a, a leg up on everybody else because everybody's looking for catchers. And if you can hit left-handed, chances are you're going to get a chance to play an awful lot. Buck, how do you feel about players who specialize really early in baseball? Do you think that players should play other sports like hockey? Obviously, we got a long off season from the sunny summers up here in Canada, so you got to find something else to do. How do you feel about players that maybe specialize a little bit too early, whether it's in the sport or maybe it's whether even in the position in baseball as well? I, I think that's a great point. And uh, George Springer is a, is a big advocate for that. George played every possible sport he could as a kid. Whenever the sport was in season, he would play that sport. And, and you think back to Bo Jackson and Rick Leach and Kirk Gibson and those guys that were multi-sport athletes that uh, they could do a lot of different things. And I think the ability to play other sports gives you such a different skill set. My son played football, and I don't think there's a better team sport in all sports than football, because everybody has to execute their position and their job. And I think it teaches you a totally different skill set. Same for hockey. Baseball has different skill set. Basketball has a different skill set. So I would like to see young athletes, especially if they're a very, very athletic kid, play many different sports. You never really know what's going to uh, hit home and something that you might love. And it, it might be hockey. It might be track and field. Uh, you just don't know what's going to click for you. So uh, I would like to uh, – I know a lot of teams are encouraging uh, these guys to uh, play year-round baseball. And, you know, if you get into a particular program and you're not in the summer program or you're not in the winter program, you can't play in the summer. And I always say this to coaches. What happens if Bo Jackson or Mike Trout move into your neighborhood over the winter and you didn't have them playing in your winter program? Are you not going to let them play in the summertime? Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, Buck Martinez, uh, Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza in Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Uh, Buck, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I got swept up in the Shohei Otani thing. I was looking at flights. 
I was uh, seeing for dinner reservations by Yusei Kikuchi. I got really swept up in all of it, Buck. Did you at least get swept up a little bit in the Shohei Otani to the Blue Jays hype? You know, I've been in baseball so long. You can't get a, you, you, you don't really get excited until the player steps to the podium. That's when you know something's going to happen, when he's ready to make a, a new conference. And, uh, you know, there's so many media outlets and so many people. And, and John Paul Morosi is the one that really kind of started it. And he said, yeah, there's a plane leaving from Anaheim. Well, you know what? There's a thousand planes leaving from Anaheim. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he apologized. He apologized to a lot of people. He said, I, I didn't. I didn't uh, live up to my standards. And uh, he reported that uh, that plane was, and they even had tail numbers. And I heard one report where a customs officer got on the plane and said, where's Shoei? <laughs> it was, it was so close, but didn't it feel like it was always the Dodgers buck. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, he, this guy's a unique person. Um, he, he comes from Japan. He played for the angels. He, he, you know, if you're going to be a multimillionaire, there's few places better to live than L.A. and Hollywood, that's for sure. Hmm. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a star. He's a wonderful player, a great person. And, you know, he made a terrific donation to the earthquake victims in Japan recently. So this guy's a special guy. He does a lot of good things. Uh, obviously, he would have been the crown jewel of the Blue Jays offseason. How have you gauged the offseason so far for the Toronto Blue Jays? Um, underwhelming. I, I just think it's been underwhelming. I mean, they had high expectations, and they're not done yet. I'm not ready to put a uh, a label on where this team is going to finish until the end of spring training because you can make changes during spring training as well. And, you know, the the one thing that, that concerns me is that uh, everybody expects this pitching staff to be as good as it was last year. They had a phenomenal season last year. Those guys pitched. Everybody stayed healthy. Everybody pitched uh, above and beyond their career standards, and it was a phenomenal season. Now, for that to happen two years in a row, that would be a, a stroke of good fortune, and it's possible it's not going to happen. So, yeah, you need to, you need some more, more offense, that's for sure, and I'm sure they're still trying, but uh, I'm not ready to uh, put a grade on this offseason until the end of spring training. Obviously, it's all hypothetical, but would you like the fit of Cody Bellinger then? No, of course. He's a terrific player, can play first and can play center field, and he's been a terrific player for a while. And the concern, of course, is the inconsistency. He hasn't had a straight-line path to start him. He came in as a rookie, did really well, and then he became an MVP, and then he had stepped back and, you know, still know what you're going to get. But you would think at this point of his career, given how experienced he is and how talented he is, that he would have figured out a lot of things. And this is a little bit closer to what you would get if you were to sign Cody Bellinger. How important is this year for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Buck? Um, You know what? I think every year is important for every player. I think you have to constantly try to get better. And, uh, you know, Vladdy put up some big numbers in 2021. And, uh, you know, everybody will recall that – those games, some of them were played in Dunedin, some of them were played in Buffalo, and uh, he's uh, been chasing those numbers ever since. And the talent is there. There's no question. And I think this is a good reminder of just how difficult it is to be a star player in the major leagues. I have a lot of confidence in Vladdy. I think Vladdy was uh, disappointed in the season last year, and from what I understand, he's worked very hard in the offseason. And, uh, you know, he's still a very young man. And there's a lot of great years ahead of him. And he just has to understand 
that being a star in baseball is an everyday effort. You've got to come every day ready to be the star of the day. And he has that capability. I think he has that desire. And now he has to go out and do it. Uh, Buck, you, you obviously played in the big leagues. How tough is it to manage something that we all talked about when Vladdy was coming up? Uh, his eye's incredible. He walks more than he strikes out. But at the same time, he's dependent on to be a power hitter in drive-in runs. How can he manage being a guy who can be very selective on pitches, but at the same time, drive-in runs for the Toronto Blue Jays? How difficult is that for a guy like him to accomplish? Well, it's really interesting. And I think, you know, Pete Rose said it a long time ago. He said the key to hitting is getting a good pitch to hit. And I think that's what Vladdy needs to understand is what is his best pitch to hit? And what is the best pitch he can hit out of the ballpark and do damage with? And, um, yeah, he's got a terrific eye and all of that. But I think, you know, there's so much talk about exit velocity and he hits the ball hard and all of that stuff. There has never been a game determined by the number of hard-hit balls the team hits. It's how many runs you score. And I want to see more productive at-bats from this entire team. They have to be better with runners in scoring position. They have to be better with runners at third base. And with this pitching staff, you don't have to be a juggernaut offense. You just have to be consistent with your ability to score runs. If you score five, five and a half runs a game with this Blue Jays team, you should end up in the World Series if the pitching holds up the way we expect it to. Uh, Buck, before I let you go, we always appreciate your time. Uh, Your Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes on the road for the first time in the playoffs outside of a neutral site in the Super Bowl. How are you feeling heading into that game against the Bills on Sunday? It's funny you mention that because I have my red Chiefs hoodie on right now. (laughs) So so you're feeling good. That was the best game they've played all year long. And considering the conditions, it was interesting because uh, Rice had a terrific game. The defense played very well. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, I love. He's got the biggest heart on that whole team. So I expect they will play well in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, you're right. They haven't uh, had any road games in the playoffs under Pat Mahomes. So it should be interesting. And it's not going to be very warm there either. So it should be a fun game. Uh, it will not be. Uh, it's a little chilly here in Calgary, and we look forward to seeing you on the weekend. Buck Martinez, Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet. Always a pleasure, Buck. Thanks for this. We'll see you this weekend. Thanks a lot, Thomas. Uh, there he is, Buck Martinez in the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline. The National Coaches Clinic is a three-day event that features presentations and on-field sessions designed to provide coaches with tips and techniques to bring back to their local teams. Coaches in attendance will have the opportunity to attend a four-hour National Coaching Certification Program as well as a one-and-a-half-hour top-of-the-first module presented by, in partnership with Jays Care. Uh, check out the Blue Jays website for more information. It's coming to the city this weekend. Uh, Buck Martinez wearing his Chiefs hoodie, feeling good about his Chiefs and uh, power run game with Isaiah Pacheco on the weekend to beat the Dolphins, who wanted no part of that game in that cold weather in Kansas City. Uh, we got a couple minutes to go here. The Leafs are in town tonight. We'll be all over this game tomorrow on the edition, on, on our edition of uh, the big show. Um, we wanted your Leafs in Toronto chirps. How many you got for us here from Texty McTexterson? We haven't used them too much lately. Got six. Six Being good quiet. ones? Are they good ones? Yeah. You have your right. hands in the air like you just don't care? Are they're they good? They're okay. They're all right. right. Hit it. Brent in High River. What do Toronto Maple Leafs fans have that Montreal Canadiens fans don't have? Black and white pictures of their last Stanley Cup victory. It's not bad. 
That's very good. It's it's good. It's pretty clever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Yeah. There's the cups and saucers. Mm-hmm. You know, why do Leaf fans drink their tea out of a, out of a saucer? Because the Hab fans, the Habs have all the cups. Mm. There you go. <laughs> Zing. Very clever. Yep. Got him. Doing the guns thing. Yeah. Okay, no, more. Nice. Nick in Crossfield. The Canadian Red Cross has changed the national symbols for choking from hands over your neck to a blue maple leaf. <laughs> That's not bad. I like that one. That's not bad. Yep. Yeah, the Leafs do choke in the playoffs. They do. Uh, remember when they said, we want Florida? Mm, they oh, got they em. got them, all right, and they lost in five straight. <laughs> well, not five. Well, gentlemen sweep. If gentlemen sweep, four straight. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Clint from Lethbridge. Hey, Matthews. Nice mustache. Is it a clip-on? Hey, Nylander. Your dad was better. Hey, Marner, I'd like to get to know you a bit better. Do you mind if I go through your camera roll? <laughs> That's not bad. Decent. Yeah, decent. Is your mustache a clip-on? The best one was the first one. They should have put the Matthews one at the end. <laughs> yeah, because that was the best one. The other no, two were I relatively like soft. One. I, I like thought the, the Marner, Marner one was a little weak. creepy because it's a Mike Babcock thing. Yeah, Write I get down it. the worst player on the team Is that a me. chirp at him? I don't know. Maybe. That's, that's more of a chirp at Babcock. That's just acknowledging something terrible that happened to him early in his career. The only thing that's better than a clip-on tie is a dicky. Continue. Mm. Derek in Quarry Park. The brass rail is the cleanest and classiest part of Toronto. Um, I'm not familiar with the brass rail. Hmm. <laughs> Let me just that, Google that on a work computer. Is that a bakery? Rail is, that, is that a manufacturing oh. plant? The Brass Rail is one of the downtown... The Gentleman's Club. Oh! Okay. Uh, It says uh, stars that have been observed there include Samuel L. Jackson. Wow. Get out of here. Charlize Theron. Really? Alex Rodriguez. Oh, well, that's not a... Colin Farrell. (laughs) And it was one of the first venues that Paul Schaefer worked in. Popular venue for celebrities, especially during the Toronto International Film Festival. Oh, TIFF. It's a big TIFF party. Yeah. Oh, nice. Wow. All right. Dusty in Bridalwood. Tate McRae is better than Justin Bieber. I don't think there's... Is that up for much discussion? The club has been the site of a number of legal battles. It was the only club in Toronto to deliberately defy the city's bylaw against lap dancing. Lap dancing also has its own Wikipedia page. Look at the picture. Oh, boy. (laughs) Look at that guy. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that before. (laughs) Thanks for showing me. Can I read that Wikipedia page on a lap dance? Because I'm not familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty good. There you go. What is that? <laughs> Last one. Colin in Woodbine. Run away before you drown or the flames will beat you down. Fallen leaves, fallen leaves, fallen leaves on the ground. A little Billy Talent little there. little Billy Talent reference. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I really didn't expect the Billy Talent yeah, right. reference <laughs> on the text line today. but uh, I'm not going to play um, the one where you told your wife. Yeah, specific area. It's a good one, but we're not going to do that. You also got to know your what your medium. It's for the radio. Jumping in here. It's like the old "Hey ref, get off your knees." Like that's just the worst chirp too. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you got coming up at Mucho Big Show? Well, we got Michael Grange, uh, Raptors reporter for Sportsnet, going to break down the Pascal Siakam trade and uh, see what's next for Masai and uh, and Bobby. Okay. All right. Little Billy Tell on the way out. We'll be back tomorrow. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Write and subscribe, I guess, if you want. It's cool. If not, that's cool, too. Um, maybe we'll do something about the text line tomorrow, because we had an interesting call today. Yeah, I'm in. We'll discuss tomorrow. Okay, sure. I'm in.
Let's we'll do discuss it. Discuss tomorrow. Sounds good. <laughs> Cron bloopers. Saravali. Morning report. Angry Saravali. Wait, we're having the morning report. Tomorrow? I'm gonna do morning report tomorrow. What? I promise. Swear to God. Seriously? I know. And we're having Cron on from Lloyd Minster. Yes. And he's not gonna be on the water oh, slide. Yeah. No. They don't Damn know it. if to go 4:30. Like, tell me that wouldn't be great if he was on the water slide doing the thing and oh, talking yeah. to us really fast. It'd be amazing. All right, that's it for us. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll have more on it tomorrow. You Have bet. a terrific Thursday. Bye. Bye. Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog.